Our last in-person Sunday service here at UUCF in the sanctuary was March 8th, 2020. 16 months later, here we are taking tentative steps towards adding back a large group in-person option while also doing all we can to maintain a high quality live streaming option for those who need to or prefer to stay at home for whatever confluence of reasons. And it's important to acknowledge that we have been living through not just a hard time, this has been a world historically hard time. History books will write about this. Years of demagoguery and threats to our democracy in this country and ongoing global pandemic. And on top of that, you each know within yourselves and your closest circles, the personal struggles, the personal tragedies that you've had to deal with on top of all that. Any one of those things would be more than enough to deal with, much less all of them and for such a long period of time. Having to deal with all of that and for such a long period of time has put various ones of us in various forms of survival mode. Have you felt a little bit at, from time to time or maybe even all the time, that you've been like tight and hunkered down and just doing whatever you needed to do to get through, to survive. Now for better or worse, we can't change any of that. Whatever's happened the past 16 plus months, the good, the bad, the beautiful, the cruel, do you all know the saying, we, we need to give up all hope of a better past? <laughs> like, we're not gonna... <laughs> We're not going to get a better past. Uh, but, and the reason we plan to service, though, uh, this morning on boundaries and healing and hope is to consider if this current season that we find ourselves in, if this might be a turning point of sorts. Now, I'm not saying that all our problems are behind us, from the political to the pandemic to the personal. There's still more than enough problems to go around. It's just that for the moment, the political and the pandemic, even if still quite serious, they're, not, they're just not quite as unrelentingly terrible as they, as they have been for a while. So I want to invite us, that being the case, just to take a second to pause, to take a deep breath, and to consider if this season of midsummer might be an auspicious opportunity to set one or more intentions to incline ourselves, even if incrementally, just a little bit more out of survival mode and into a more sustainable way of being with ourselves, of being with one another, and of being with this world and this planet. To that end, one perspective I've found helpful recently is the writings of Dr. Nicole LaPera. She's the author of a recent book called How to Do the Work, uh, how to recognize your patterns, heal from your past, and create yourself. For anyone on Instagram, I actually recommend her Instagram feed. Uh, she's at the holistic psychologist. Anybody follow her on Instagram? Anybody? All right, I see a hand or two. Very good. At the holistic psychologist. Uh, Dr. LaPera started out along a fairly traditional path. She got an undergraduate degree at Cornell University in psychology. Then she went to the New School in New York City and got a, both a master's degree and a PhD in clinical psychology. And then she was a therapist just out there in the world for about a decade. And then around 2018, uh, she became increasingly dissatisfied with the limited tools of, you know, let me say it this way. 
we should really pay attention to the things that double-blind scientific studies tell us work. That's, that's really good stuff. But she became equally interested in that stuff plus a more holistic approach that's a little loosier and messier. But she began to say, what if I more fully integrated the mental and the physical and the spiritual to try to use all the possible tools? And her framework is really resonating with a growing number of people. After just a few years, she has about 4 million Instagram followers. Her book became a number one New York Times bestseller. To give you just a quick taste of her perspective, here's what she wrote on the one-year anniversary of founding uh, The Holistic Psychologist. As you listen, I invite you to notice if any part of this resonates with you individually as we seek to individually and collectively emerge out of survival mode. Here's her words. She says, something brought you here. Now this is, you know, explicitly for people who like were coming to one of her workshops, but just see if any of this resonates with you. Something brought you here. Something inside of you has a deep longing to heal. A longing to be the highest version of yourself. And this is something to celebrate. She says, we all have a childhood that's shaping our current reality. But today we've chosen to heal some from our past to try to create a new future. The part of you that knows this to be true, it's your intuition. It's always been there. Some of us have simply developed a habit of not listening or trusting what our intuition, our body, our emotions are telling us. Being here today is a step in healing that broken trust with ourselves. I'm going to say more about all of that. I'll unpack two parts in particular. First, I want to say, what is it she means when she says we have a childhood that is creating our current reality? Second, I want to say more about what she means when she invites us to listen and trust what our heart, our mind, our body, and our spirit are trying to tell us in any given moment and for a particular season of our lives. To begin, that part about our childhood helping create our current reality is related to what I described earlier as survival mode. We don't just go into generic survival mode. We have very particular survival modes that we tend to go into based on often the family systems and or traumas from our past. So when we're under stress, our human tendency is to revert to the maladaptive, habitual responses that are, again, rooted in the family systems we grew up with. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'd be glad to refer you to a therapist. I mean, I'm kind of joking, <laughs> but like, um, anyway, you do you. Do you. Um, the psychologist Carl Jung said it this way, and it's a sentence that's really struck with, stuck with me ever since. See if, see if this helps clarify it even further. He said, until you make the unconscious conscious, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So now you can just continue going about your, you know, I don't have patterns, I'm not affected by my childhood. Well, you're, Jung would invite us to consider. You're not making the unconscious conscious. It's controlling your life, whether you realize it or not, especially when you're under stress. And it can just be really easy to call it fate instead of getting a little perspective on it and learning how to work with it. Part of Dr. LaPera's focus is to help us become, again, more conscious of those patterns so we can actually make intentional choices. Even if just to increase our awareness of our patterns can be a powerful first step, 
You know, the first step is admitting you have a problem, right? You know, just realizing that, oh, there are patterns that I, I slip into. You know, oh, the reason that coworker bothers me is because it, like, reminds me of my brother, why that coworker in particular really bothers me, like, at an irrational level. Like, that, that's how you kind of know your unconscious is being triggered. You're having this kind of hyperbolic response. This unre it just unreasonably bothers me. It's because it's, it's triggering something in you. And just even that awareness can begin to interrupt the pattern to unhook us. Pema Chodron says it this way, don't bite the hook, right? You know, do you ever get, do you ever get hooked by people in situations? So it's, this is about learning not to bite the hook or noticing when you've gotten hooked to say like, oh my God, let me stop that. And opening up the possibility for a more free and generous and compassionate response. What I appreciate most about this sort of perspective is that it can actually be tremendously empowering. It's easier said than done, but it can be tremendously empowering. There's a saying that we don't experience the world simply as it is. We experience the world as we are. You know, that's, again, the reason why that coworker or that whatever, you know, bothers us. You know, there's that saying many of you have heard me say before that um, our family can push our buttons because our family sewed on our buttons. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so there really is a sense in which we play a role in co-creating our experience of reality. Now let me immediately add an important caveat, because many people hear that, that we help co-create our reality and say, oh, well then I can, I'm like, have superpowers and can, you know, like, that, that's not quite it. I'm not saying that reality is all in our individual control. Many of you have heard also my favorite quote from the science fiction writer Philip K. Dick, that reality is what doesn't go away when you stop believing in it. <laughs> you know, I, can be like, I don't believe in this pulpit, but I still can't walk through it, right? Like, reality doesn't go away when you stop believing in it. But folks like uh, Nicole LaPera and her um, holistic psychologist perspective can serve as these really powerful catalysts for doing our inner work, for doing what we can to control what we can control, or at least to be a lot looser around it. Regardless of what is happening in the world, there are transformative actions we can take at the individual level to change our experience of ourselves, of other people, of the world. At the same time, let us acknowledge that regardless of what we do on an individual level, there are systemic problems, racism, sexism, classism, homophobia, I could go on, that will continue to have disproportionate effects on you know, historically oppressed groups. And we must continue to work to dismantle those systems. But here's the thing, doing our inner work can help us show up for social justice in a way that's less toxic. Have you ever been around a bunch of like social justice activists that are like incredibly toxic? They bring that same like judgmental energy that makes them good social justice activists to one another. It's what we sometimes call the liberal circular firing squad. Where we, like, do you know what I'm talking about? So doing that inner work can help us show up for social justice in a way that's wiser and more skillful and more compassionate, more effective even. And working for social justice can create systems that actually give more people the time and the space to do this sort of inner work that I'm talking about. It's all interrelated. For our purposes this morning, though, what I really want to focus on is become more, becoming more conscious of that shift in perspective that really can change how we experience reality. I barely have time to scratch the surface of what Dr. Um, LaPera describes in her book, How to Do the Work, so I'm going to really just limit myself to one example 
that has been especially helpful to me. Many of you know I'm in the, about six months into a two-year meditation teacher training. So I want to focus on, I'm not a therapist, so I want to focus on a, a mindfulness technique, which is really more in my, um, something I actually know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a mindfulness technique called there is noting. Some of you may know a noting technique where you label what's going on with yourself. This is a particular form of that called there is noting that I learned from a meditation teacher named Kenneth Folk. The instructions are pretty simple and it invites us to experiment with shifting from a first person perspective, I am, to a third person perspective, there is. I'll give you an example. One emotion that many of us, including myself, have been experiencing uh, too much of recently is anxiety. Anybody? Anxiety? Benna? Okay. Don't get me wrong. It's okay if you've been feeling, you know, it's, it's not paranoid if they really are after you. Like, you know, anxiety is like a, a legit thing to be feeling uh, these days. Uh, there are a lot of legitimate reasons to feel anxious, but I want to invite us how we can more skillfully work with that anxiety. When anxiety arises, one common response, and there's truth in this, is to say, I am anxious. There's truth in that perspective, but it's not the only option. If I say I am anxious, it can feel like a very definitive, concrete, very solid part of, of my identity. But what if we play with that? Instead of saying I am anxious, and you can even say this silent to yourself, notice the difference between saying I am anxious and there is anxiety. Can you even feel that almost immediately? I am anxious feels kind of like grasping and solidifying it in yourself versus there is anxiety. To me, it feels like just a little bit of distance, a little bit of space begins to open up. Again, rather than being identified with the emotion, I am anxious, I find myself in that witness stance when I start saying there is anxiety. That, and it gives me a, I can explore it with curiosity a little more. Okay, there is anxiety. What does it feel like? Where, uh, okay, for me, you know, it kind of shows up in my gut. There's kind of a, a tingling around it. You know, noticing how it maybe changes over time. Um, when I say I am anxious, it feels like it's not changing. It's solid. It's permanent. So just kind of noticing. And often when we start to work with emotions, we can notice that actually they actually do arise and pass away. I promise you, everything that has the nature to arise, including us, has the nature to pass away. And Whereas if we say, I am anxious, we can actually just kind of, we're re-upping that anxiety and we're like starting the clock over again instead of giving it a chance to change and resolve. Importantly, this there is noting practice doesn't start there. So you can use it to work with one thing in particular. You can also use it as a mindfulness tool to notice all the other things. So if I do this right now in real time, just notice what all is actually going on with me other than anxiety, for instance, I can say, oh, there's kind of a tingling at the tip of my fingers. There's seeing all of you. There's feeling my feet on the floor. There's, there's actually a lot going on with me and just kind of switching into that mode of, oh, there is tingling, there is pressure, there is heat, there is coolness, there is anxiety, there is thinking, and just kind of noticing this list of things. It makes me feel less tight and constricted, again, even if only incrementally so, and a little bit more open and expansive. It feels less like one thing is overwhelmingly true. I am anxious, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? And a little more like many things are true, and all of them are a little more workable. Now, it's also not that you have to suddenly start saying there is all the time instead of I am. It's just giving you options. It's giving you tools in your tool belt, and you can toggle back and forth as is helpful. 
The most famous contemporary definition of mindfulness is from Dr. John Kabat-Zinn. He defines mindfulness as awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. Awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And I've found that there is tool is, is just really, really helpful for helping people get it, getting how to do mindfulness, just doing that there is blank. There is blank, there is blank, there is blank, and doing it. And that non-judgmental piece is key as well. So noticing, and again, on the basic sensate as less conceptual and more base sensate level as possible. If what's arising for you is difficult, it can be incredibly helpful to add a heartfulness piece to that. Just, you can try this right now. Put your hand on heart center. Just see if that's a, just a little bit soothing to you. Or you can place a hand somewhere else, uh, you know, anywhere, your arm, anywhere you're noticing that might, might feel soothing to you. Uh, and then just offering yourself compassion, just saying, like, this is a world historically hard time. Like, it's understandable if I'm having a hard time. You know, just offering that compassion to yourself saying to yourself what you might say to a friend that's having a hard time. Mindfulness is a way of putting into practice as well that old saying that you don't have to believe everything you think. You don't have to believe everything you think. You can just note it with a simple label. Oh, there's thinking. Oh, there's anticipation. Oh, there's worrying. You know, like just, oh, there it is. Just notice it just, and give yourself a little bit of distance. Uh, if we're caught up in something and you're starting to spiral, just witnessing and labeling all the various things that are happening in the present moment can sometimes help us getting unhooked. Because, yeah, okay, there's worrying, there's anticipation, but there's also groundedness. There's also the pressure of my feet on the floor, there's warmth, there's seeing. There's a lot of things going on. It's just one way of experimenting with that insight from earlier that we do play a role in co-creating our reality. We can, we can get more skillful. It's a powerful first step just to notice that we've slipped into habitual patterns. We'll still do this, you know, all, all, our whole lives probably, but we can get better at kind of interrupting and be like, oh, wow, I'm just doing that thing that my dad used to do, or oh, I'm doing that thing, that, you know, okay, let's, let's interrupt that and make a different choice that will serve me better and serve those around me. Simply noticing that habit begins to open up the possibility and to allow us to shift more toward wisdom and freedom and compassion. If you're curious to learn more, Dr. LaPera's book on how to do the work uh, has a lot of tools and frameworks and practices for exploring all of this, inner child practices, attachment theory, and more. For now, I want to just briefly move on to the second part of what she means when she invites us to trust our intuition, to listen for what our heart, our mind, our body, or spirit are telling us in a given season of our life. As we seek to emerge more out of survival mode, what would it mean to consider that you actually are one of the world's greatest experts on what you need? You are one of the world's greatest experts on what you need. Sometimes we need other people to tell us stuff, but most of the time you really do know what you need on an intuitive level. What do I need mentally? What does my mind need? What do I need physically? What is my body telling me? Bob taught some about that, about you know looking at, feeling like I just want to you know, binge eat to, you know, instead of feeling sadness and just say like, is that really what my body wants? Or is that about not dealing with, you know, just noticing those things. Uh, don't feel like you have to make a five-year plan either. You know, just focus on what are one or two small, actionable, incremental steps I want to take today, this coming week, maybe just between now and Labor Day. 
What are one or two things you need that will help get you more out of survival mode and more into a more life-giving way of being in the world? For some of you, that may look like addition. For others of you, that may look like subtraction. I always like to add that. Some of us feel like the only option is ever is just to add more and more. I have to add going to the gym and meditating and all this stuff. Sometimes it just looks like what Nicole was saying during the story time, saying a one-word sentence, no, and having that just be the complete sentence. No reason, just, just no, or, or later. You know, just I can't do that right now. So what some of you may need in this season of your life is more. It may be, um, you know, it could be getting lost in a great summer read, going down to the Curious Iguana in downtown Frederick and being like, recommend, you know, a great book that I can get lost in this summer for greater mental wellness. Others of you, it may be getting back to the gym or your preferred exercise routine for physical wellness. Others of you, it may be you know, meditation or yoga for spiritual wellness. Others of you, it may be just finding time to play. What is it that lets you get lost for hours and, or thinking about your childhood? What was it then that let me, you know, get lost in a flow for hours? But again, at the other side of the spectrum, others of you may need to give yourself permission to draw boundaries, to say not yes, but no, or later. And uh, the Holistic Psychologist book and Instagram has a lot of tips around skillfully drawing boundaries as well. Because I'll tell you something about boundaries. You don't, you get to draw your boundaries, you don't get to control how people react to when you draw boundaries. Does that, does that make sense as well? So just know, you, you, but, but that's all you can really get clear about is what you, what you need. And, and getting and resourcing yourself. You don't get, unfortunately, you don't get to control how other people respond to them. But you get to control how you respond to their good or bad response. So, anyway. So as we uh, near the end of this sermon, some of you may find that you already know intuitively in a flash what you need mentally or physically. You may already know right now when I started talking about it. Others of you may need some time to allow your response. Maybe later today or later this week, just take that question for a walk and just drop it into your consciousness occasionally. What do I need right now for mental wellness, for physical wellness, for spiritual wellness? And then just pause and give it a little chance for uh, your unconscious to spontaneously respond. And then maybe drop the question in. What do I, what do I need right now? What do I need? Listen, allow, ask with real curiosity and, and be willing to be surprised. You could journal about it, you can create art around it, you can do some gentle movement, dance, whatever works for you. For now, I will say that I am grateful to be with you on this journey as we seek to sort all this out individually and collectively. We don't have to figure it out together. In this hard time, it is good to be together. So as we continue to discern how we feel called individually and collectively in this particular season of our lives, let's sing together a hymn that affirms the basic goodness and trustworthiness of each of us. That if we slow down and give ourselves a chance to really listen, we can trust that deep down we do know what we need despite the messages that society sometimes gives us to the contrary. In that spirit, let's sing together hymn 1053 in the Teal Hymnal, How Could Anyone 